Okay, hi. Welcome to Everything Try to Kill You, your favorite horror comedy podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about It Comes at Night. Released in 2017, this was widely slept on by audiences (laughs) across the U.S. Even though it did receive pretty good reviews from critics, like Rotten Tomatoes gave it 87%, but the audience score is a whopping 44%. This is where, like, if I'm texting someone, I would insert the grimacing emoji <laughs> face. You know, the one with, like, all the teeth. This so, one. well, you guys, you tell us what you think. Because yeah. this one's on Netflix. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, anyone but we're can still watch gonna, it. we're still going to spoil the shit out of it on this episode. But please, please still do tell us your thoughts on yeah. it. Why you think this movie is either fantastic or, in fact, a total snooze fest. There is no wrong answer <laughs> what before we get into it hi hello my <laughs> name's rachel i'm mary Kay. i'm mary or i was before new year's before my choices <laughs> i was a whole person named mary i don't know anymore well it is 2020 <laughs> this is a, this is a great opportunity for you to figure it out I don't even, I don't know. You guys, just full transparency, we're recording on New Year's Day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All three of us are at varying levels of hungover, so. But we're all safe. Mary threw up in her sink. So, that's Oh, yeah, and then tell us about what happened when you you did that. Oh, yeah, in the process of throwing up in my sink because I couldn't make it to the toilet in time, (laughs) I cut my elbow on a wine glass but did not break the wine glass. You just broke your elbow. (laughs) Elbow skin. No, I had to have my mommy help me put a Band-Aid on it because I can't see my right elbow to put a Band-Aid on it correctly. (laughs) So it is hard to put Band-Aids on your own elbow. (laughs) We're going to discuss this at length later, but one of the inspirations for this film was an oil painting um, called The Triumph of Death by Peter Bruegel the Elder. I think and it's I did Bruegel. Not do, Bruegel. I think so, because is he Belgian? I didn't do any research on the guy. I don't know why he's called the Elder. All I know is that he did this painting in 1562. I well, suspect. that's amazing. Also, I want the epithet, the Elder. <laughs> I bet it's because he was older than someone. <laughs> he just was like, I am a skeleton. He's like, I'm the original skeleton. Will the real slim Brogol please stand You could do a quick Google search of the painting, um, but mostly just so you know, it's a massive scene of mid mid if I could say the words correctly. You, mid- you wrote yourself century death. Like all kinds death. of death. Just yeah. death everywhere. Like skeletons on carts collecting dead people. And the land is scorched and burning. And all you see is just more death for miles. Hmm. It depicts like a, a theme. One that I'll keep coming back to later about the... In, see, hungover Rachel can't pronounce words. You in, got this? You also wrote... Inevitability of death. Beautiful. You wrote Beautiful. yourself a tongue twister. I've done that before, too. I set myself up for failure. All right. So so the question I have for you is this. Similarly, which famous piece of art would you choose to be the inspiration of your own horror movie? I chose mine would be Edward Hopper's 1942 Nighthawks. Love it. So that's such a good choice. I don't know. 
I don't know anything about art. I just saw it in my head and I had to go. I'm like, what is that painting with the people at night in a diner? Yeah. That's the one if you don't know. And so, because to me, that seems like the perfect setup for any horror film. Yeah, it's so desolate. Yeah, yeah, it's like the middle of the night. There's only three patrons there. There's a couple and they're just really nice. Like this is the nightcap after a really good date. And then there's like that one stranger. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Mm, something shady about that stranger. Something going on with that stranger though. So that's mine. I love that one. Yeah. Mary, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I thought of a bunch of facetious ones, obviously. Okay. Um, but if I am being less facetious, I was thinking of the unicorn tapestries Ooh, that hang yeah. at the cloisters in New York. Uh-huh. Um, they are, they feature prominently in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Last Unicorn. The, those images in the credit in the opening credits are actual tapestries that hang at this beautiful historic site in uh, uh, Manhattan called the Cloisters. Um, that's been beautifully preserved so that when you go there, it doesn't feel like you're anywhere in the city. Like it, it all feels and looks very much like it did, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Um, and the tapestries are lovely, but also in the style of. And, th- and that, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but a lot of art of that period has this kind of effect on me of feeling, like, disturbing. It's and I don't very know if it's... eerie. It's, like, two-dimensional. Exactly. I think it's the dimensionality. Out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so everyone's proportions Especially are a little like, off. And... Yeah, like, yes, it's a dimensional thing, I think. It's, mm-hmm. like, uh, especially when they're, like, embroidered. Yeah. And that's, I think that's why that they jumped out to me because I was like, oh man, like they're, they're a little off kilter and there's, there's something textural, right? Like they have this weight. So yeah. And unicorns, like who doesn't, why do yeah. we have horror movies about unicorns? We should have horror movies about unicorns. We should have horror movies about unicorns. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The whole unicorn, like what vibe scene has really made a comeback in the past few years like people have like unicorn hair mm-hmm. yeah. unicorn serum there, i just read an article about an abandoned lisa frank factory that i want to you know Live have in. like an escape room in. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's in it's in arizona i think actually oh, Mary, so you should let's go i'm gonna check go it out yeah apparently i'm like, gonna go the, live there the loading dock is like rainbow color <laughs> oh my god of course <laughs> Yeah. Um, the painting that I would base my horror movie on is really on the nose. It's by Frida Kahlo, of course. Love, love. And it's called My Birth. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. By, it's uh, in 1932, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It is her mother giving birth to her. It's real scary. By the way, I'm going to post all of these on Instagram, so if y'all are listening to this, you follow us on social media, and you'll be able to see like what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but I love Frida. She is mm-hmm. a spooky bitch, and I love it. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and oh my god. Yeah, it is yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah, it's um, that is I, terrifying. When you mentioned Frida before we recorded, I thought you might select the one where um, she is a deer. Well, because that's yours, though. You hate deer. I'm okay with them. <laughs> well, no, because, I mean, that one is scary to me, too, because it's, uh, like, deer aside, because she's a deer that is, like, being hunted. Right. 
Yeah. So I thought you might select that one, but the one you picked is also... Well, because one time uh, when I was in Lebanon, I got I got food poisoning, and I had a fever dream that I was being born. I haven't told you all about this. Oh, my goodness. It was bizarre. It was so hot in our room. And then my friend Sarah, Rachel knows Sarah, she came back from the store with, like, ginger ale and shit for me because she's a good friend. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was so scary. It was like a gust of wind and light. (laughs) It was wild. It was a crazy fever dream. Anyway, y'all want to talk about the movie? (laughs) Wow. Sure. Well, I really wanted to... I really want for the icebreaker. I really wanted my answer to be Saturn devouring his yes, son. Yes, that's a great Goya. one. Yeah, but uh-huh. I really feel like the movie The Witch beat me to it. I was gonna yeah. say also that's very like, of course. Mm-hmm. I, I I I I appreciate that you guys pick stuff that I. That isn't like inherently immediately horror, which I do feel it's like Saturn. It's just not de- straight up Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just not, do... it's not like just Garden of Earthly Delights. <laughs> yeah, it's not like literal depictions of murders. It's not the raft. I really want to do. <laughs> In the future, I really hope we get to do an episode where we can have like the still of the episode being Saturn devouring his son. Mm. I would love that. Okay, so for <laughs> it comes at night we always like to address the question is it horror no i don't know i'm just talking i'm just talking (laughs) i feel like contrarian i i mean i was feeling anxious or Mm -hmm. uh not parent well kind of paranoid i think that's part of the thing Mm -hmm. that this movie does really well is it makes you suspect everyone and also you can logically see where everyone is coming from like you can't tell who mm. the protagonist or antagonist is because all of them are like rounded characters and yeah. that is real scary and i think also disease that uh progresses that quickly is very scary too yes mm-hmm. i think it had all of the elements of horror setup without any of the satisfaction of horror payoff and i think that was deliberate uh, yeah yeah so all of that foreboding, all of that build up, build up, build up. One of the only moments where you actually got a good, like, <gasps> was the uh, gunshot while they're in the truck. <clears throat> um, yeah. Like that first shot that blows out the window. Um, but most of the time there was all this build, all this build, all this build. And you never actually got to release it. Like it might dissipate a little bit. The story yeah. might move forward. The tension but never she... released. Right. Um, and I do think that. Yeah. When we think about horror, we often think about that that build, 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 release, build, 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 release, build, 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 release, yeah. and the goal is right to keep building bigger and better. The director has spoken about the fact that that, that was that was a very deliberate choice on his part. Trey Edward Schultz wrote and directed this, and he wrote it immediately, not immediately, a couple months after his father passed away, and uh, that was something he did very pointedly was to leave that ending real wide. Yeah. And to not give you that sense of, of satisfaction or closure or wrap up and leave it really open to interpretation. The beginning scenes when mm-hmm. uh, Bud is very sick, the grandfather, and mm-hmm. his daughter's talking to him like, can you hear me? And to me, that was kind of scary, too, because he could, but it took him a long time to respond. And it's like you could see like it wasn't all right. And then they put him in a wheelbarrow and 
rode him out into the the woods outside of his place, put a pillow over his face, shot him, and burned his body in a shallow grave. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was immediately like, oh, it's this that kind of movie. Like, we're pulling no punches immediately. Um, it. So I think that, like, I mean, I've told y'all many times, like, in an apocalyptic scenario, go ahead and kill me first. Right. I can't. I really love the way that Mary described it in the way that mm-hmm. um, cuz how I wrote it in the outline was that it's horror by territory but maybe not so much execution because I feel like with any film that is post apocalyptic or any kind of apocalyptic right. story is already has that sticker by brand horror mm-hmm. but that does that's not and I think that what this movie does differently is it changes that rule it's like well is it though? Is it though? But at the same time, I feel like at the very end, there is that release, but it's more of like an implosion instead of explosion, if that makes sense, in the way that, um, so the whole time they're trying to protect themselves from something trying to get them, whether it be the sickness or other people or other people giving them the sickness, Mm -hmm. while in the end they were the monsters themselves just like that you know that very old poem waiting for the barbarians by Kavafi they're waiting for the barbarians to come yeah. and in the end they never come and it's like well I think I think we were the monsters all along here I don't know that poem but I'm gonna link to it in the show notes so everyone can become familiar <laughs> it's so good yeah that sounds right and I, I you said the word protection and that's one of the terms that they kept saying over and over like you have to protect your family like you did it for your own protection and um the fact that all of them die protect you from what each other the disease like there's so many things that you it is totally inevitable one way or another that's the end of the story for everyone you know yeah and that's the whole point behind the whole movie and with you know the oil painting we get in the beginning is that no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how smart you are, how strong you are, how clever you are, you're going to die. Death yeah. is coming for you. It de- mm-hmm. You just got to make it, make sure you make the right decisions before then. Right. And I think that um, you wrote on here as well, Rachel, that most apocalyptic stories, you know how the apocalypse happened. And in this one, we don't. We just hear Will say, like, when everybody in the city started getting sick. And they just call it sick, right? Like you can tell in their eyes and you can tell, like I think I think their eyes are the things you see first and then like um, they regurgitate mm-hmm. blood it seems like or their esophagus yeah. is bleeding. I can't tell if it's, the, t- the mm-hmm. consistency mm-hmm. of it made me think it was not vomited because that would be more like splattered but that it was like your esophagus ruptured or something. Anyway, um, so... I feel like, especially with mo- with uh, TV shows like Walking Dead or any kind of, I mean, even The Road to a degree, um, it's really easy to judge right. their decisions as wrong or right. Like, oh, of course, don't let that stranger in your house. But in this movie, it's like every decision every character right. makes can be rationalized. And you really don't know if they did make the right call. Right. Like, even, like, it doesn't have that satisfying payoff like you were saying, um, Mary which is more real life than a lot of horror movies. Right. But I liked that. I think that's hard to do. 
And that's why I like this movie so much because I like mm-hmm. stories where you really get to know the character. I really like character-driven stories mm-hmm. more than getting all caught up in the plot and what happened. I so, definitely feel that way, yeah. Yeah. So this movie, like with the pacing, it wasted no time. Yeah. And I kept think I kept thinking back to that movie that was like a, was such a big hit, um, Bird Box. Mm-hmm. But when I think of Bird Box, I think of like that Tinder fuckboy date, of <laughs> like that's the kind of apocalyptic movie that is. Its only purpose was it to waste your thrill. time. Yeah, <laughs> quick yes, a quick thrill. There's some edge of your seat bullshit, but mm-hmm. it's really mostly just him talking about himself for like two hours, and you're like, all right, I'm ready to go home now. But yeah. this movie, I felt like, is the dude who is, like, single, with no kids, got his own place, a 401k. Like, he might <laughs> play Dungeons & Dragons with his buddies every Thursday night, but he ain't here to waste your time. No, he's a take-home-to-mama He's take-home-to-mama, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> every minute in this film is significant. Also, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but I, I didn't listen to this movie any more quietly than I usually do. And I watch almost everything with subtitles on, uh, especially when I'm watching for the show. I want to make sure that I understood correctly, you know? And uh, there was so mm-hmm. much ambient noise or so much yeah. dialogue described in the subtitles mm-hmm. that I could not hear at all. Like, I would not have known that there was, I don't know, a bird song. For I mean, that's just an example. I don't remember if there was actually a bird at any point, but say there was like, you know, a bird whistling in the trees that was <laughs> i know because i was like i don't we I should was credit like, the person who when, wrote those clothes when captions. is any of that happening but some of it really was a Shout big out. great like, job <laughs> without the subtitles i would not have understood how travis like could overhear people because i could not always understand what he could understand on screen like without the subtitles i would have been like is this kid making this shit up mm-hmm i i yeah. I might have thought that he was like, lying like or making shit up. When it says he's in the attic, yeah. And I, one of the things that I that helped me with those captions is I could hear what Andrew was saying, or I could not hear mm-hmm. exactly what what he was saying. Yeah. But I read it that he was saying, mm-hmm. "I don't want to out out." And um, mm-hmm. can we also just real quick go ahead and establish Andrew was sick? I I think so. Also, I thought that was such sickness. a smart thing with the whole keep right? your eyes closed. Because I was like, he could be saying that. Right. But he could yeah. also be saying that because he is holding a gun to another man's head in front yes, of his toddler. Yes, and he says it like four times. That's why I thought he was saying it. I didn't even think about, like, because of the symptoms. That's, mm-hmm. that's such a good point. And I think that the film makes it intentionally ambiguous that you can debate it either way. Because the point is, is that this was the moment that made things escalate to get to the ending they got to. Right. It's not mutually exclusive. That's true. Both things could be true. Um, I also, real quick, want to clear up one more plot point before we go on, because mm-hmm. I think it is important. Who opened the door? Right? They make a whole thing about oh, saying there's only one key to this door. The key is from the outside. You can unlock it from the inside. From the outside. Yeah. Like, you can, you can lock the door from the inside without the key. Okay, that makes sense. I was it. like, I, I, I was not clear on the function, the mechanics of the door. So I was like, is all of this a moot point? Okay. Did one of them have to have done it? 
that makes sense to me. And when they were the way they were going on about it, I assumed that it was the kind of thing that like, if this door is locked, only one person has access from any direction, because they wouldn't want people from inside the house to just go wandering outside either. But your interpretation makes more logical sense, because otherwise the entire story comes unglued. All we know is that when we, as the audience, come to the scene, the door is already I mean, open. Yes. So, can we eliminate some can characters? We? I don't know. Okay, let's do he's it. The, that sounds fun. He's the only one who's he's well. His his actions in the moments leading up to the door being open, us finding the door open, are accounted for. We see him. We know what he's doing. But only, I suppose, for the few minutes right before that, he could yeah, have but been. He, doesn't he wake up from a nightmare too? Yeah, I was, I was about to say he could have been sleepwalking and he's weird. prior I mean, to finding the I know that he's answer. awkward. He's an awkward teenager, but he's also weird. A little. He's. You know what I mean? He. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, I, so can Andrew open that okay, door? So we know that. He can reach it yeah. and everything. Five year olds yeah, can open doors. Well, I mean, because I think the point, and it was a good argument, was made when um, Will said he can't even reach those locks. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. But I think we're. so. We, but we do know it's not Will, right? Will didn't do it. Not Will. Not um, Kim. Kim. Not Paul. Not Sarah. Yeah. So it's either Travis or Andrew. Both which represent the innocent one of the family. Right. But they're the one who... Caused it. Yeah. And they get sick at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to... Because when I was watching it with with friends, they were like, who did it? And I was like, it's Travis or Andrew. And they're like, no way. Neither one of them. No. I... Magic. (laughs) You know, I, I don't have super strong feelings about it. And I think it is because ultimately, whoever did it, um, the effect is the same, you know? Yes. And they didn't right. know they were doing it. I think that's a really it. good point. Mm-hmm. If it yeah. was Andrew or Travis, neither of them knew they did it. Right. And so, yeah, because um, Andrew, when he was confronted, he said he couldn't remember. Which right. is also, I found, I think is one of the symptoms of being sick is confusion. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Travis was having the same symptoms as well, right? But I think, again, it's, I think it's purposefully vague and you can debate either which side because at the very end of the day, the main point of this movie is that at the end of the day, you all going to die. And, and Travis even says that, right? He said, you, you don't understand. If he's sick, then I'm sick too. Right. Mm-hmm. And the parents are like, you don't know that. You don't know that. And he's like... <laughs> it's basic logic. Yeah. Yes, I do know that. If he's sick, I'm sick yeah. too. Um, it was some pretty hardcore denial on there. But part. it's just like a really interesting <laughs> denial, yeah, going on. Um, so, yeah. with that said, there's like a there's a lot of symbolism um, in this movie. I mean, not not a lot, but there's significant symbolism. So, in the near the beginning, like we I mentioned before. We even see, they even put the oil painting in the movie. Yeah. It's on the yeah. wall. Yeah, that was, that really got my attention when I was like, okay, so you just have like this horrifying mm-hmm. middle ages oil painting across from like your family photos in the same hallway. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the hall. same hallway. That's such a beautiful detail. That sounds like some shit I would do. Like, <laughs> not Bud. It seems out of character for Bud. But the, 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 what I really enjoyed about, or what I found really interesting that they did is that the, the shots of the painting you see in the movie, you don't really see the real, 
all the details of the actual painting. The only thing you see is like barren death. You just see death and scorched mm-hmm. earth. But there's actually like, there's like a lot to decompress in yeah. the actual painting. There are so many different scenes and they all represent like different like Greek mythology. And it, it's, it's, actually, it's actually really interesting. But at the end of the day, it has like only one purpose. And that's to tell you you're gonna die and it's like and i had like this moment where it's like i don't know if you remember the 2002 resident evil where that little girl and she's all like down in the basement telling them like you're all going to die Ah. (laughs) how did you do that are you mad at me (laughs) is that your text tone rachel Oh, listeners, just for an update, Mary is now wearing a fur coat. It is my robe. I have, I have a robe collection. I'm oh, big okay. on robes. So I have like a lightweight silk kimono. I have a heavyweight silk kimono. I also have a more like lightweight fleece robe mm. that's long, has pockets and a hood. And it's my like tooling around the house actually doing stuff robe. This is my super dense, cushy, like I'm laying still robe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weighted robe practically <laughs> like it's a weighted huge. blanket but a robe it's huge <laughs> um okay i had a question okay so the it that comes at night what is that travis's dreams oh well uh, i mean true no i think that is because they are quite prophetic i think that is it okay. i think it's more simply just death because there's like a lot of symbolism that goes back to the bible like the passover and what they mm-hmm. always say in scripture is that well, death, it comes like the thief in the night. Mm-hmm. Like you never know when it's going to happen. So that was my interpretation. Interesting. I forgot about um, the plagues. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, like uh, the plagues of Egypt. Yeah. So yeah. while we're talking about symbolism, mm-hmm. that fucking door. Ugh, majestic and horrifying. Can we can we get into it? Yes. Can we can we just dive in? Let's this get in there. Door? Mm-hmm. I feel like the whole this this movie it, the whole the only poster you should see is nothing but just this red painted door. Mm-hmm. What business does that door have? <laughs> looking that goddamn regal, while at the same time looking so sinister. <laughs> it's so true. It's so like dual. that ruby red with so the the traditional. I- golden brass had a really different reaction to it because i associate red doors with churches yeah so i do churches have red doors yeah i mean maybe just lutheran so so yeah so in my so my reaction to a red door like symbolically is is a little skewed there so it didn't it didn't creep me out so much as i mean for me it still had a kind of weight right it's still that represents that liminal space between like safety and unknown it's still the door between what is real and what is unseen mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it doesn't it's for me the red door felt more like protective than menacing right like through this door if you're on the right side of the store you're in a, a safe space so but that that's a very personal i know <laughs> thing to bring to it so I think, like, building on the setting, like, that prop of the red door is, like, 
what, no matter how he interpreted it, it's, it, it stuck yeah, with it's us. Significant. Like it, it is on one of the movie posters. Um, the hallway also is really like profound image. I know we already talked about that, but the thing that was creepiest to me was the hallway that led to like the mud room essentially that was all taped off mm-hmm. and it was totally bare except for Bud's cot, which I think was like his sick mm-hmm. cot. And, and then when Will breaks in, he, they have him in like that floodlight yeah. in that room, um, which looks like it's under construction kind of. And it, it almost looks like a quarantine. Mm-hmm. It, it, is, it was yeah. basically a quarantine, mm-hmm. but, and then on the other side of that is the red door and then the outside and whatever is out there. Um, and then the last image to me that was the creepiest is Stanley staring off and barking at nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Love that. That was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful frame. And so one, just uh, again, another, like uh, just kind of establishing the, the parameters of the thing that comes at night. It seemed like something it like a respiratory virus type thing came at nighttime but it was also transmitted through skin and touch of infected people. Is that kind of what y'all were got, got out of it too? Because they wore the gas masks and the gloves. Yeah, yeah. That's where I got tripped up. See, your interpretation makes more sense to me because I, I wasn't understanding. I thought... And I'm also not sure if they understood how it that's, was transmitted. That's, so maybe they were just taking a lot of That's kind of what I took from it. Like, if there's been this massive societal breakdown, okay. that it's possible that they don't understand how it moves. So they're just mm-hmm. incredibly cautious. And it would also explain why Sarah says, we don't actually know that you're infected. Um, she she may not just be in denial. She may be telling the truth. But there's a lot of things that people say in this movie that, yeah. I mean, we don't even know if they believe what they're saying yeah what is the truth is kind of a consistent dilemma for the the characters themselves also i want to just talk about the performances mm-hmm. amazing really excellent perfect casting really excellent delivery even the little boy who plays andrew mm-hmm. when he's like i don't remember it's like oh you can God. tell he's like i don't know i know you i know you want me to say something but i don't know yeah then, like, when he wakes up in Bud's mm-hmm. room and he's like, where am I? And I was like, ooh. And that was a beautiful frame, too, when he's, like, lying at the foot of the bed. And you're like, oh, no, what's wrong with him? And then he wakes up and he's just, he's mm-hmm. fine. He just was in there. Yeah, the, the, um, Joel Edgerton. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. The, wow. the moment of his acting that stood out to me the most was when uh, Kim is screaming at him and he's like, he like shakes his head real mm-hmm. quick and then just shoots yeah. her. He's like, I got to rally. I got to do yeah. this. And then he does it, which like he doubled down basically on what he was thinking. And I just, man, that, that moment had to have been like so difficult and heartbreaking for him and also necessary. Yeah. And then when Sarah sees that Travis saw that, which is the thing that potentially Will was trying to prevent Andrew from seeing him having to shoot another man that he knows, is like her performance too. I just love. I know you all know that I love Carmen Ahogo, but she is fantastic. 
Lovers. <laughs> so the first time I saw this, I'm I'm watching this man play <laughs> play the dad. And the second time I'm watching is for this. So I look up certain things and I see this tiny little still of the face of the guy playing him. Joel, whatever I said earlier. And I did a double take, and I swear to God, I thought it was, I don't know how to say his last name. I thought it was Barry Keoghan. Yep. They look alike. Their eyes are very similar, right? It was just because of that one still. that It was a tiny, tiny little thumbnail, and I thought it was him. And I'm like, no fucking way. They're both incredible. I was like, he has to be the most amazing actor to be so unrecognizable. Because I once had this drama teacher, and he said, as an actor, the greatest compliment anyone could ever give me is someone to say, you were in that show? I didn't see you because like they're acting so good that you didn't recognize them. And that's what I thought was happening because that's what I thought who it was. I was like, oh, my God. They are both awesome actors. Like that really creepy kid from uh, the killing killing of a sacred deer. deer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's in Chernobyl, too. Oh, I know. I love it. Yeah. But both of them are amazing. And I I actually when I was watching this was like he kind of looks like Barry, whatever the last name is. Like, they could be related, and I'd be like, yeah. I even looked it up. Like, as we were talking, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't, mm-mm. Nope, not, nope, not him, not him, not him. Are they related, though? I feel like they could be. And also, Christopher Abbott. Yes. That's who I thought you were going to start <laughs> talking about when I busted out laughing. Oh. I really no, I have feel to tell like you. He, you belong with him. He is my most on-brand type of man. Like, Dark hair, dark eyes. Just everything that he does. Mm. 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 That's a pull quote right there. Okay. Just that, <laughs> that groaning noise? Growls. Oh my yes. <laughs> That's what they did during the sex scene in this movie. Man growling, woman growling, man groaning passionately, woman groaning passionately. That's exactly what they said, passionate groaning. You said groaning because I was pretty sure I heard, I saw breathing or sighing. Oh my goodness. I mean, I got all of those, but the groaning was the one that was like back and forth groaning. I was like, oh, we doing a conversation. John. (laughs) (laughs) That, but just groan. Also, if you guys have not seen him in Catch Twenty Two, I have not seen Catch you Twenty Two. You have to. Okay. You have. I, I remember. I read it in high school. Had, I liked it. I thought you had like reservations. I thought you said you didn't want to. I don't like Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. Fuck I that hate shit. It. Fuck it. No, Catch Twenty Two. Like he is so incredible in it, and still okay. so hot. So I highly recommend it. Okay. Oh, but before we leave, oh, we left it a long time ago. But I just <laughs> it's okay. We can circle back. <laughs> I want to dial back to the red door really quick because Mary said that for her, it was, if it was like a, a, more of like a symbol of protection and that's incredibly interesting because when I saw that red door from my upbringing in the South and some like cultish Christian independent Baptist upbringings, um, one thing that we always like talked about was the 
Passover with when um, the tenth and final plague in Egypt, but the Jewish were warned and they were instructed to sacrifice a lamb and the blood of that lamb you put on the door. And then when God comes to strike down, you know, the first born child of every household, they would pass over the protected homes. And so I just thought it was like kind of not funny, but somewhat kind of funny that this door that was painted red, it was so it looked like it was painted 10 minutes ago. Like it yeah, had that it, shine, uh, like yes. it was fresh. So it looks like, it kind of looks like blood. It looks like mm-hmm. it was not only just like had a little bit of the lamb blood, like put on the top and on the side a little bit, you know, so you pass over. <laughs> not just no, a it little looks, Simba smear mm, at the, it, at the top. Simba, Simba smear. Simba. No, it looked like they doused that shit in blood. Like we need all the mm-hmm. protection, but it did them no good. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. It did not work. They still got got. They got got. They did. The firstborn of their both families dead. And everyone else too. True. Oh, also, Will was an only child. Was he? So he would have been the eldest son too. Oh. Was he? Yeah. Both he, O's. Well, he didn't have a brother. He lied that he had a brother. Well, that's what I'm. That's what. That's the question. Is like, but was he tell? When was he telling the truth? Was he telling the truth in the first place, or when they were drinking the whiskey? But again, that ambiguity that they mm. put in, like you can understand. And Mary Kay, you said this before that like everything, everything that is done or said is rationalized. So mm. you can kind of understand. Someone would say, like, if you don't know a stranger and they have you at gunpoint, you're not going to go mm-hmm. to, like, all, like, the little nitty-gritty de- mm-hmm. details. Like, oh, my stepbrother's cousin, sister's house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was his stepbrother's, but he, on the, on the spot, said my brother's. You know, maybe he was, maybe that was true. But, yeah. Mary, well, brother-in-law, we right? It's Kim's brother-in-law. brother-in-law. What did I say? Stepbrother? Oh, goddamn. Yeah. But, but, yeah, regardless, it's like, well, we were staying with a brother. It was her brother, though. Like, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, no, it made it made know. it made just, sense to me. It also yeah. made sense to me that say if they did have family out there, that he might say, I'm an only child because he doesn't want them to know if they have people in the area. <clears throat> he doesn't want him going right, out after true. them or trying to take what they have, you know? So like yeah, like you were saying, there's it's not hard to to rationalize any of these people's actions in a bunch of different directions. Right. And I love that scene with Paul and Will because Paul is always so on the defense Mm -hmm. and he's always being so careful that he kind of has a vulnerable moment where he's willing to let Will in and he's like opening up the the liquor Mm -hmm. of his dead Mm father-in-law, you know, so they can have like a moment together. And that tiny little detail, that tiny little slip up plays into his paranoia and it just completely destroys the moment. And he yeah. actually is more reminded of the advice he gave uh, mm-hmm. Travis earlier that day by saying, no matter how good they seem, remember, you can't trust yeah. them. So in that one moment, he kind of like f- forgot his own advice and something so small that could have been true, it completely destroyed the atmosphere and he was like okay i'm i'm gonna go 
Yeah. Yeah. He even takes the uh, bottle of liquor back. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Um, So when you wrote on here about the family units being uh, like kind of pitted against each other but needing to work together, um, it kind of made me think about he didn't put up a fight at all. Um, They went to live with him. And then when they bring in the the new family, um, they have like that sit down about like here's our house rules, and the people the newcomers are cool with that. And it and I remember being like, yay, peace. And this isn't kind of <laughs> <laughs> I remember being like really excited um, because I was like, oh look, like men not getting hung up on like machismo or needing to be in charge. Like they understand the importance of one another. They're both skeptical of one another, but they're going to work together, and this is how society should work. Mm-mm. She's making the Kelly Kapoor face. It just doesn't last. I wish I wish the audience could see Mary Kay. It's that <laughs> moment in the office where she's like, yeah, and then you see her, and she like looks to the side, she goes, and she like shakes her I head. I love your quiet, necklace. Like, <laughs> Mary Kay has perfected that shaking of the head where it's like it's a tell like oh girl Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) i did that at a party the other day are you gonna come back outside yeah girl (laughs) (laughs) cold as fuck come back outside it's just easier (laughs) um also let's see okay so about the family units um I did like how they were very small family units, so it was easy to, like, keep up with the foils. Like, uh, I think I... Who do we want to talk about first, characters-wise? I want to talk about Paul. Okay, let's talk about Paul. I love Paul. I love Paul. He's a good-ass man. He's a good-ass man. He, he, in the end, he did a really bad thing. Did he? I don't know. Well, before we get there. I feel like he was that bad. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's backtrack. Let's talk about Paul. Let's talk about Paul. So he is what we all need. Not just... <laughs> okay, I, I slowed down at the wrong moment. <laughs> no, we do need... We all do need a Paul because he is someone who's going to get shit done. But what I was trying to say is he is a man that... Or person that you definitely want in an apocalyptic situation. Mm-hmm. We need a man like that because... He's, I don't feel, because in our last episode about The Revenant, mm-hmm. go rate and review if you haven't like, already. We talked about Tom NPR Hardy's voice? Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> There's gentle clicking in the background. <laughs> gentle typing. <laughs> yeah, please go peep our last episode on The Revenant um, and rate and review if you haven't already. But we did have like this big debate about Tom Hardy's uh, Fitzgerald and was he full villain or not was he you know just trying to survive and in this it's kind of the same thing a little bit um, because he's trying to survive but he's not full villain mm-hmm. so you can see in moments where he's trying to be good and be fair he always says when he's at the family dinner table with the other family he'll say does that sound fair yeah yeah that's true. It is, and he sits at the head of the table. But um, before uh, the new family comes in, Bud's seat, the head of the table, is empty. 
and we're like watching from Bud's perspective, which I think is mm-hmm. just interesting. And um, to kind of build on your point about being excited about Paul, um, it actually your reaction to Paul reminded me of Mary's reaction to Steve in Hereditary, mm-hmm. the husband who's like, "I'm gonna handle this shit. Yeah, I'm gonna hold mm-hmm. it down." Mm-hmm. Um, and you always gotta have one of those. You gotta get you a Steve or a Paul. Or even a Rick. Like, he kind of reminds me of Rick in Walking Dead. Yeah. Where he'll, like, make the tough call. Yeah. But the thing is, is that Rick, he has both the muscle and the strategy, mm-hmm. while Paul had no strategy. No. He was just straight, visceral mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. Sarah was the one, like, listen. Yeah. I'm not team. being emotional. Mm-hmm. He knows where we live. So we can't just let him go. And he right. has all the food. We don't have to trade for it. Because, like, how dare he say, well, I know you want to believe him, but we can't be emotional. What the fuck? What the yeah. fuck? And then she's like, well, listen, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, I can back that up with strategy as mm-hmm. well. Because yeah. now we get to keep all of what we have. We're going to share it anyway. If we don't, they'll just come take it. And now we get to use their resources as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, she was awesome. She was bomb. Dot com. Her. Also love how um, as, as soon as uh, Paul comes in, he, she's like, uh, did he mention the smoke from dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably how he found us. And I was like, bitch is smart. Yeah. Yes. Smart, he, smart, and then smart. the way he was like flabbergasted, he was like, or like not flabbergasted, but he was like stumbling. He's like, oh, uh, no, why? Right. And she's like, Bitch. <laughs> that was a subtext. <laughs> Motherfucker. Are you for real? <laughs> yeah, so basically, Paul was the muscle. Mm-hmm. Sarah's more the brains. And Travis is more just yeah. the child. He's the child. Okay. I feel like Mary had some stuff to say about Travis earlier, but we didn't get into it yet. His dreams are clearly important. I... By the end of the movie, yes. I kind of felt like, I know they mattered. I don't know what yeah. they meant. Like, I, I, I'm i still not entirely sure what yeah. the significance was. Outside of the fact that they existed. We definitely do get more of the story from his perspective than any mm-hmm. other. Or, like, maybe exclusively from his perspective, actually. They do seem somewhat prophetic, but I was also wondering, because this is movie mm-hmm. world, um, is it possible that that is one of the symptoms of being sick? Is that you have those dreams? Because when Kim is like, how long have you been having bad dreams? He goes, I don't know, mm. a while. Like, it mm. It kind oh, of seemed like it happened when Bud got sick. Also, he showed symptoms within a day. A day. Yeah. That is some fast acting shit. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I don't remember any of that from our binge listening on the way back from Tampa of mm-hmm. this podcast will kill you. No. <laughs> don't remember no. any of <laughs> Nothing uh, that impressive. Bringing you down within a day. No. No, that's scary. Um, yeah, Travis gave me some, I, I thought constantly about um, the Diary of Anne Frank. When he's hitting up in the oh, No, just like in general, just like the way he interacted with the strangers, everything that like, this is a guy who is yeah. at a like, really pivotal age and has been sequestered from all mm-hmm. real life, from all people outside of his parents. 
That's true. I didn't yeah, think and um, so like the dream he has, the dream he no, has that involved uh, Kim, where it looks like she's gonna like have sex with him, and then she just spit the chocolate syrup all over him. I really thought that was gonna be a gross adolescent sex mm-hmm. dream, and the nightmare version of it was a lot easier. For me <laughs> I know, <to> watch <laughs> absolutely, but it made sense to me. I was like, well, of course, like if he's gonna have a sex dream, that that that's it. That's the only woman he knows. So it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Right. At least it's not his mom. That'd be way mm-hmm, worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also a lot better than that time in the movie, The Witch, when the boy like is looking at like his sister <laughs> sleeping with like her like cleavage, mm-hmm. like showing a little yeah. bit. Oh God, that was weird. Yeah. That but was uncomfortable. Um, I really saw the two families mirroring each other, mm-hmm. um, like reflecting one another almost, almost perfectly, um, which is with... Very little deviances. So I really thought Paul was Will, Kim was Sarah, Travis was Andrew. Mm-hmm. And the only major difference between them is that the age difference between Andrew and Travis. And I thought that was very interesting because most of the times in the film, we do see Travis being very childlike, hiding up in the attic, listening, eavesdropping. And he's always like looking for direction for anything like... Like, I was, is it weird that I was surprised that he went to his parents immediately when he heard Andrew crying? Like, I thought that was a moment for him to, like, try and take things mm -hmm. in his own hands. And I was very surprised that he turned around and just, not tattled, but, like, just spilled the beans. Like, yeah, told everything. That was a very childlike move yeah but there were there were some times when you would see him because he's he's 17 he's at this age where he's bridging the gap between childhood and adulthood he has like Mm -hmm. most of his weight in childhood but he's starting to become more adult by taking on more responsibility as soon as this new family came in he kind of took Andrew under his wing bringing him toys and things to color with mm-hmm. and then even finding so him sweet. Mm-hmm. yes it was very sweet and then the moment where he's trying to take care of stanley the dog he's trying to take care of um andrew finding him holding him holding his hand and bringing mm-hmm. him up but um so i think that even more to the point of the here i'm going to try and pronounce the word again in a v- I can't do it. Mary, yes, what's the can. word? The what? The inevitability. Oh, okay. Oh, I was like, I literally don't word. know. <laughs> you haven't said a word, so I, you haven't even tried to say the word, so I don't have, an, any, <laughs> I don't have anything to I'm hold like, on to I'm bracing myself here. to say it, and I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that just all boils back down to this theme, is that um, this family, they're, they're very similar. They're the same. The man's mm-hmm. going to do, he's going to be fair, but be the muscle and do what he has to do to protect his family the woman is going to be the nurturer the one to try and like keeps it settled thinks things through and then there's the child where it's like well i mean it's the child and what what can you do but like spank them change their diapers Mm -hmm. take care of them i don't know it's it's interesting to me too that travis is 17 but he's like a a very young 17 Like he's very sheltered, very like trusts his parents, is very close with them. And I'm not saying that's like wrong or bad. It's just um, he looks a lot older than he acts. Right. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think part of, too, him, like you were saying, becoming more uh, responsible. You you can do that, right? Like, you feel older when you're around younger right. people. Yes. Because you start taking care of them. Oh, like, when you're 17 and there's a five-year-old right. there, you know? Um, he says, come on, take my hand. I'll take you back to bed. And it's that take my hand that potentially is what gets him sick. And so when you're talking about the inevitability of death, it's um, basically any human contact will kill mm-hmm. you, but what you just, you're just not going to have any. You're just not going to have any humanity, and you stay alive. And, like, at what cost? Like, that's not worth that's not a life worth living. I don't know. Have you met humanity um, lately? It actually, that concept, I know. <laughs> we suck. Uh, but it reminds me of that uh, short story by Carmen Maria Machado called Inventory, um, where there's a, it's a disease apocalypse, um, and it's an inventory of all the people that she's had sex with. But she's the last person alive after this plague. And so it's like it's a way of reliving like human connection so that she can stay alive. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. I'll link to it in the nice. show notes. It's a genius. She's one of my favorite authors, yeah, yeah. but yeah, actually I think, um, Scott Bradley brought it up when, uh, when he was on our episode, yeah. about, um, autopsy of Jane Doe. That sounds yeah. great. Um, so I'll link to his, him and his book in the show notes as well. Um, so if y'all want to check him out, you can. He wrote. Yeah. I just, he does. And, I also just, every one of these characters, I just wanted to put in my pocket and protect from the world. I just feel like, man, what was that movie we were watching where they kept saying, well, we did every, oh no, it's from Chernobyl, when um, they're in the nuclear uh, plant, I Mm -hmm. think, and um, he keeps like going back over his actions and he's like, well, we did everything right. Right. We... We did everything right. I don't... This shouldn't be happening. We did everything right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every single character is like, this shit is out of control, Mm. but I did everything right. Like, I did everything I should have done. I don't regret my decisions because I don't have any new information to make a different educated decision with. And I, I feel for them at the end, especially because, I mean, it's just... It's the exact thing that Sarah and Paul were trying to prevent, which was their their kid and them catching that plague. And Travis has just died from it. It looks like it's within the day because he's still wearing the same Same bloody shirt that he fought Will in. Yeah. And his eyes are blacked out and she has those welts all over her forearms. And it's like, they're just staring at each other at the end. Like, well, which one of us is going to go first? Yeah. Like, we know how this ends now. We, we we tried it. And I think Sarah even mentions that in the beginning. Like, when he's like, it's going to be okay. She goes, do you, you really believe that? Like, this has one ending. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you can't, when there's only three of us, it only has one ending. So, I don't know. I like this thing that you wrote here, Rachel. <laughs> about the ending being not funny, but kind of oh so okay so in the so before like the ending ending coming up to the climax in the climax of the movie where um they're all like literally gung-ho um (laughs) so paul approaches their room he has a gun and 
Will kind of opens up a little bit. He's like, oh, who's all with you? And Paul looks away, and that's when Will brings out a gun. So he's got a gun now, and then they're go- and he's forcing um, Paul to go down the stairs so him and his family can get out. And then Sarah comes with a rifle, and it's just like everyone has a gun pointed at each other. Yeah. And even though it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> like an escalation like a very serious moment where things can go really really wrong I couldn't stop laughing because I couldn't stop thinking of that scene in the office Mary Kay you're gonna have to help me out here because I, you know your um, office references a lot more than I do but I just so I just stuck the picture yeah it's when they <laughs> it's the murder mystery episode. yeah where they think that they're trying to distract from uh, the branch possibly closing right is it, is it the branch yeah. closing that they're afraid of at that one? Yeah, and Pam is very pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> but she's into the game, and she's holding her lace gloves finger with guns. finger guns. She's like, I'm not going down for this. You're <laughs> still really committed to the accent. And then, I scroll like, there's... down, and but um, like I'm so glad that I wasn't drinking anything, because I really did. Like It would have been a spit take all over my computer that was so fucking funny yeah so it's pam on top with her finger gun <laughs> two fucking finger guns pointing in different directions and then below it's the classic one you see with all the memes online with dwight michael scott and andy like their guns like all pointed at each other <laughs> grab my purse start the car <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, like, trying to, like, pay attention to this movie with this beautiful Christopher Abbott and this high-tension, high-stakes scene. And all I can think about is, like, Pam with this accent. I ain't going down for this. (laughs) There has been another murder. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) What should our closing question be? I feel like also it has become a thing, Um, like, every other episode that we're like, we normally think of one and we didn't this time. (laughs) We're, we're batting, we're, yeah. we're running like a fifty percent functionality on that That's one. True. <laughs> it, That's we true. We did used to be much more consistent about it, um, but I, I don't. I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe we should, listeners, if you know why we've fallen off the map, there, let us know. I mean, like, tell us nicely, please. We're artists and we're sensitive about our shit. Okay, but also. Um... One thing that we seem to always talk about in a lot of movies that we really love because they involve the woods, Mm. I just want to say that, come on, come on. When the dog went running into the woods, that's rule number one. Do not go into them woods. Do not go into the woods. (laughs) That is what... Blair Witch, yep, Evil Dead, all of these movies taught you the witch, do not go into in them woods. You will be cursed. And I felt like the moment that he did run off and like chased his dog, it was like done, mm-hmm. cursed. Because there was like this eerie music, you could see like the trees that were uplifted, and the barking like, just stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there was a there was a and noise. It almost kind of made you question, like right when the barking stops. There's also some kind of yeah, crunching. Like crunch. Yeah, yeah, it's quick. Yeah, a little scary. If this was a, okay, if this was a different genre of movie, what would the it comes at night be? The it that comes at night. Mm. 
I, I'm still going with the Tinder fuck If it boy. were a... Because okay. he comes a, at I was about to say, if it were a historical, mm-hmm. if it were a historical romance, then what comes at night would be like a dude, right? Like a hot... The night to Guinevere's balcony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of Outlander, you know? It would be so like a buff a Scottish dude or something. My mom is obsessed with that show. As long as Jamie exists, I will continue watching it because, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was I was not into the show very much. I liked the clothes in the 40s. That was the part that I was most invested in. I would imagine. In. But whenever, <laughs> in like the first episode, because my mom was like, you got to watch, you got to see this. You're going to love it. And I was like, probably not, but I will watch it with you because... I'm going to enjoy your reactions to it. Like, that's yeah, my yeah. entertainment. <laughs> Whenever uh, he's like, get on this horse, and she's like, no. And he's like, um, if you don't get on this horse, I'm going to throw you over my shoulder and take you on the horse. Is that what you want? Oh, honey. And I was like, kind of. <laughs> like, yeah, that's. I mean, I don't. Obviously why I'm running my mouth. Kinda. <laughs> Grab me up. Let's go. I bet you can't lift me. Very. <laughs> Okay, um, am I telling y'all about what's happening Do next? It. Okay, we are. Yes, please, please. Okay, so <clears throat> before I tell you this, y'all go subscribe to us, rate and review us, tell your friends that how much fun you had. Um, but up next for our next episode, we are talking about Rachel. Drum roll, please. <laughs> That's Remember my when roll. Captain Holt did that drum? <laughs> when no tempo is specified, any reasonable person <laughs> would default to Lento. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> okay, the movie that we're talking about next time is The Exorcist. Finally. We've Finally. been needing to do this for so long. I can only watch this movie in like 10 minute increments because it has two out of my three trifecta that I can't handle evil kids and demons. Mm -hmm. So we, that's why I've been holding out, (laughs) but, um, we are also going to welcome on to the show as our lovely guest, Clay McLeod Chapman. He has written one of my new favorite books, um, the remaking, which if y'all haven't, it's so good, (laughs) dude, it's so good. It is awesome. It's super fun. Um, it's about the remaking of, uh, uh, yeah, a witch story, a folk tale, um, and 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 she don't like it. That witch, she she don't like. She ain't having it. It's dope. It's really so good. Um, but he's gonna come on and talk with us about The Exorcist because um, that's another cursed film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we will talk to you in two weeks. And thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, don't forget to like follow us on social media and talk to us. It makes us feel famous and smart and pretty. Mm-hmm. Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy New Year! <laughs> 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 Bye, love you. Bye.